Hello and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. I am Julia Frank and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel who actively challenges the conventional. We reflect on current systems in place, uncover the newest findings, and shine light on the areas that are still a work in progress. Together, we demystify terms and topics you might be familiar with but never had the chance to dive into and answer the questions we didn't know to ask. In today's episode, we are going to take a look at the world of work. Workplace structures as we know them, you know, the traditional nine to five, came to life during the Industrial Revolution. Back then, people worked in manufacturing and production jobs in factories and therefore were highly dependent on natural daylight and being in the same location as one another. Since then, the work we do has changed drastically, yet our expectation of what working hours are haven't at all. We are still fixated on working Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, which of course is no longer really 9 to 5, but much, much longer, and typically work in the office. Although coronavirus has forced us to reconsider traditional work structures, I would argue that besides the physical workplace changing, our expectations of working hours haven't. If not, they have worsened. The already small separation between work and personal life is now disappearing completely. Our work plays a massive role in our sense of self-worth, and so the question that arises is how all of this is contributing to our mental health. It's an incredibly important topic and one I am very passionate about, and that's why I'm so excited to share this episode with you as I chat with today's guest, Joe Hooper. Joe Hooper is a business mentor and the founder of Mad and Sad Club, whose mission it is to disrupt the world of work. In this episode, we talk about her first-hand experience with her mental health in the workplace, how she now helps others manage their mental health at work, and how we can create work that actually also works for us. This conversation was incredibly eye-opening in so many ways, in particular when it comes to shifting how we define value. We talk about how we can replace the traditional exchange of time for money with a value-based pricing system. We also chat about what alternative ways of working can look like and how we can challenge the conventional work setup. So let's dive right in. All right. Well, thank you, Joe, so much for taking the time today. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, of course. Well, I feel like I made up my job that I do now, um, <laughs> which maybe is like one of my new one of my rebellions. But I help people who are self-employed or run their own businesses to build a business and run it in a way that supports their mental health rather than detracts from it or impacts on it negatively. And I also work with corporates and companies who employ people to help them support their staff's mental health. Amazing. And you kind of alluded to it in your intro, but why would you consider yourself a modern day rebel or why might someone else consider you as one? I think for me, and I feel like this is becoming clearer to me, like the longer I run my business. So I only set up my business last February, February 2019. But I think it is becoming clearer and clearer to me that traditional in inverted commas work just doesn't work and is just full of made up requirements and expectations that have kind of accumulated over time and never really been considered or interrogated. And why should we work in that way anymore? Why should we work nine to five when we don't work in a factory in the Industrial Revolution anymore? Why should we have to work in an office with 50 other people when, you know, again, we're not on a factory line, we're not passing a lot of us anyway, we're not, we don't need to be next to people to work with them. Why should we 
base our value on the amount of hours that we work, why is that a thing that makes any sense? It doesn't. It might sound a bit grandiose, but I think I'm trying to disrupt the world of work and make us work in ways that work for us rather than ways that we've been told that we should work. What made you realize that the world of work doesn't really work the way that it does? It's a mouthful. (laughs) I know. I should get better at making that more concise. Um, So basically, I worked in corporate communications for 11 years, which if anyone listening works in that area, you know, is really high volume, high stress, incredibly fast paced, very ambitious, very secretive. But I worked really hard, prided myself in doing so, progressed quickly, got this kind of strategic job by the time I was 30 that I'd been gunning for for years and promptly had a breakdown. And basically, I ended up having two mental health crises in just over a year. I got signed off for three months after the second one. And as I spent that time kind of trying to get back to a point of mental health equilibrium so that I could start to recover... I just realized that I couldn't continue to live and work the way I had been for the last 11 years. And that not only was that not sustainable, it wasn't possible. Like I physically could not continue to live in that way. And then as I went back to my job and tried to make changes to my job and the way I worked, as well as trying to make changes to the way I manage my mental health, I just realized that the two weren't compatible and it wasn't possible for me to work in that way or work in that environment or live in that way and not be fucking mental all the time. I feel like I ran into the realization that I couldn't, I couldn't continue to work in that way. And knowing that I couldn't continue to work in that way made me believe that there were lots of other people who couldn't and who maybe just hadn't quite hit that wall yet or who had and kept trying to make work work, but not being able to. So when we talk about traditional kind of workplaces, and I think it's interesting now with coronavirus, that's kind of shifting. And I would like to talk about that in a second. But when we talk about the traditional workplaces as we know them or knew them before coronavirus, where did they actually originate from? Well, I mentioned it before, but this concept of working nine till five, the concept of working in one place originated really in the Industrial Revolution or that period, particularly in the UK, where we moved from an agrarian economy to an industrial one, where we maybe started off with there not being electric lights. So we needed to work within those hours because that was when the light was strong enough for us to work. In fact, nine to five was in the winter and eight to four was in the summer when the light was stronger earlier. And lots of us worked in kind of manufacturing roles and industrial creating roles. So we all needed to be together to work on a kind of production line. And yet, hundreds of years later, we still see that as the norm because it's never been properly interrogated. And we see that deviating from that norm of working in an office, sitting next to the people we work with, working between the hours of nine and five, that we see that on a Monday to Friday, of course, although in the Industrial Revolution, that was like six or seven days a week. But we see any deviation from that normality in inverted commas as abnormality or compromise or difficulty. And it's just such a phenomenally outdated way of thinking about how we work and then with that comes so many other kind of norms and traditions and socially accepted ways of thinking behaving and working that have built up over time and you mentioned you you've had your own kind of mental health journey with it and you now mentor and and coach other individuals kind of through that 
what is it specifically that you see from your experiences that make traditional workplaces so toxic and also, I guess, really impact our mental and physical health? So many things. But the way I try and think about it and help other people to think about it is most workplaces, even when we work for ourselves, the customer, the end user or the organization is put first. So even people who work for themselves think, what is it my business needs from me? My business needs me to be on email on all social media channels. My business needs me to be making X thousand pounds a month. My clients need me to dot, dot, dot. Whereas I think a more healthy way of thinking about things and therefore a more healthy way of behaving as a result of thinking about things this way is to think, what do I need? So to think about what I would deem as your basic needs first and kind of build your business or your way of working on top of that. So of course, our basic needs as humans are safety and security. We need a roof over our heads. We need food on our table. And the way to do that is to work, to make money, to pay for those things. But if we work in a way that isn't sustainable for us, that is from a mental health perspective, boom and bust, where you're work, 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 working and then falling over for two months a year, it's never going to be sustainable. Our health and happiness are always going to be compromised. Whereas if you start from your basic needs, if you know what it is that helps to keep you healthy and happy and at a point of kind of mental health and physical health equilibrium, then you can make the money that you need in a way that works for you. And then it starts to allow you to think about, okay, well, what is it that I want to do? And how do I want to do that? And who do I want to do that with? And that is a much more sustainable way of thinking and behaving about work. And admittedly, you know, that is easier to do when you run your own business or you work for yourself. But even within organisations, we forget that our organization's expectations of us or our boss's expectations of us are set by our own behavior. So when I worked in corporate, I would always be in the office at like seven in the morning. I would always answer my emails out of hours. I was, I would always say yes to any new project that came my way. I would always take on more responsibility. So the way that I behaved set the organization's expectations of me, which perpetuated that, which continued to make me ill. When actually I needed to change the organization's expectations of me, it was very much in my power to do that through changing my own behavior. Yeah, I think that's something we really underestimate, you know, as you just mentioned, if you have that behavior, then the expectation is to do that. And then you're front of mind, oh, well, who could do this? Oh, Joe could do this. So as work environments are kind of shifting, changing, a lot of us even before coronavirus, we're working from home more, we're working more flexible. I feel like it's now becoming more important than ever to really create those boundaries, to create those distinctions. So there's so many ways I kind of want to go with this question. <laughs> but when it comes to setting boundaries and really figuring out, okay, so I know what my needs are, but how do I actually communicate that? How do I set that in place? What are some of the steps that you would help someone work through? Sure. So I think boundaries, boundaries of steel, hashtag boundaries. It's like really, you know, everyone's talking about it. But if you think about boundaries as just ways of working and also that boundaries are there to ensure that you get and protect your basic needs. So if I look at myself, I know that to help me maintain positive mental health or at least at a kind of point of equilibrium, I need to not work evenings and weekends. I also know my own triggers and I know that if I start working evenings and there's no stopping me and I will just go and go and go because I use work as a source of validation so I know that I can't work evenings and weekends I know that I find certain social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook really triggering so I don't use them at all 
So it's knowing your basic needs and then thinking about what your boundaries need to be to allow yourself those basic needs or protect those basic needs. And also to remind yourself that boundaries are just ways of working, ways of behaving, but that for you to maintain those boundaries, you need to tell people about them. So there are some really simple things that you can do. So for example, if you run your own business or you're self-employed and you do a lot of your business through Instagram, as lots of us do, you can set up a boundaries highlight that says, you know, say you run a candle company and people buy your candles through your website. I bet my bottom dollar that 10 people a day DM you to ask you about your candles. So you could have in your boundaries, I can't answer queries about your order through my dms please please use this form on my website or swipe up to send me an email i think often if you are a coach or a mentor then there's often a fine line between chatting to someone in your dms and mentoring that person so you could have a highlight in your your boundaries highlight that says i love to chat in my dms but i can't you know there will come a point where to be able to to support you the best I can, we need to work together formally. That's not so that I can squeeze money out of you. That's so that I can get to know you well enough to support you. So you can put together a kind of clear declaration of your boundaries, if you like, to use on any platform that you do business. Um, and if you work within an organization or for a corporate, then I think it's talking to your team and talking to your boss about what does and doesn't work for you. And sometimes, most of the time, you don't need to ask permission to do these things. I know people who work for corporates, but work flexibly and have a note on their email signature or an automatic um, responder to their emails that says, I work flexibly, I respond to emails at times that work for me. That doesn't mean that you should be expected to reply at the time at which you receive that email. In fact, if you're looking at it in the evening and that's not your working time, please put your phone down. So you can set your own boundaries through kind of the technology that you use. Also, again, if you work for yourself, you can set your boundaries through the way that you market yourself. So all of my kind of programs, it's always very clear that I don't use Facebook because it's very, I find it very stressful and I know a lot of other people do too. So in my programs, you don't get the kind of classic supportive Facebook community. What you do get is, you know, and there are different options, but in the program that I'm running at the moment, we have a private Instagram account where we can connect and chat to each other because a lot of people find Instagram more welcoming and less triggering. I think it's just important to remember that boundaries are just ways of working, ways of behaving, and to make sure that, you know, you can stick to those boundaries, you need to tell people what they are. Yeah, I think that's really important. And you've got it on your Instagram as well, your your boundaries as well, your email signature, which I, I love. I always like reading the like, you know, I, I kind of, I think you said, I check my emails when I have the brain space. So I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I just absolutely love that because it's, you know, there's no assumptions there of, oh, she means it in this way and this way. When it comes to boundaries as well, though, right? I feel like, especially with people working from home and potentially having to, having lots of people working from home, that distinction between work and life has, I think, really, really blurred. And especially now, I would say, you know, there's heightened job security concerns and heightened kind of, oh my God, I need to prove that I'm currently working around the clock. And now companies are looking into, okay, well, can we monitor them? Are they actually working? And there's, you know, all kind of, I would say, built on mistrust and really trying to squeeze everything out of every employee. So with those lines being blurred and you've, I'm assuming, have have worked from home for the past year or, or predominantly, how do you set those, I guess, distinctions between, okay, when is work time? When is home time? And and even in those moments of that creative spur, do you write it down? Do you immediately go back to work? Or yeah, what is your kind of structure there? Um, 
I think with anything around kind of, well, anything to do with work, I think you need to really know yourself, know thyself and know, basically know your foundational beliefs about yourself. Because once you know that, you can understand how those beliefs affect and color and direct your behavior. So my foundational belief about myself is that I'm a failure. Therefore, I look to work for validation and a source of confidence. Therefore, if I start to work in the evenings and get great stuff done, I'll be like, I should do this all the time because I'm firing on all cylinders and I'm great and work is going really well. But I know that that isn't healthy for me and I, because I know that that foundational belief is not healthy. So I know that I need to have for myself and it's not right for everyone, but I have quite set working hours. I only have client calls on two days a week and I only have two calls on each of those two days because, again, I know that it increases my anxiety to see, you know, lots of things in the diary for any one day. I also know that my environment, it can really impact my anxiety and my mood. We're really lucky. We live in a two bedroom flat. I can work in the spare room and my boyfriend, who's also working from home since March, works in the dining rooms. We work separately. Both of us put our work stuff away at the end of the day. Simple things, but seeing your work equipment makes you think I should be working, especially if one of your underlying beliefs is that, you know, you're not good enough or that your company doesn't trust you, especially, especially if those underlying beliefs are being reinforced by behavior from the organization or from your boss. So simple things like having clear working hours, having clear boundaries with myself, having a separate work environment. It's interesting about the like when inspiration strikes in corporate life in my previous life I was like a very planned very organized very efficient very methodical person but actually what I know now is that that was a coping mechanism for the kind of intense anxiety that that work environment kind of created for me and that actually what I need now is less rigidity and less planning and less structure so it's a constant kind of learning curve for me to understand what level of structure do I need to give me the flexibility that I want? So yes, I, I'm very firm with myself about when I work and how many hours I will work and how many clients I will see when. But then outside of that, I've set things up so that I can, you know, if I'm on a train journey and I'm like, oh, I've just got this idea for a blog, I can write it in my Google Keep app, which syncs with my laptop. Or if I have an idea for like a reel that I want to make, then I've got another section in my Google Keep app that then syncs with my laptop so that I can get ideas out on the go. What I tend to do is kind of capture the ideas and then come back to them later because, again, I know what I'm like. If I give myself an inch, I'll take a mile and I will just work and work. So I try and get the idea out and then just like leave it to percolate until I'm ready to do something about it. Because that's something I realize I do myself where I'm like, you know, take a step away and then, oh, I have this idea. And I, I just, <laughs> as you just mentioned, yeah, it's like if you get an inch, you, you know, you take a mile kind of thing. Or I think I've also heard if you get a pinky, you'll take the whole hand. But <laughs> anyways, that idea of... That's definitely um, an American one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But this whole idea of like oh, if I just send this one email, right, like I'll I'll not think about it. And it never actually ends up being that way. But what I kind of want to talk about is expectations, right? Because they really play into that. And a lot of times I feel like, you know, if, if individuals run their own business or are self-employed, it's a lot easier sometimes to set those boundaries, especially if you get to set them right from the start and that's communicated. 
But if the expectation from someone else, from a leader or a manager, is that you are going to be constantly available during those working hours, especially now as we move more globally, you've got, you know, New York and different time zones coming on. So how do you help individuals and organizations, because I know you also go into organizations, to really prioritize individuals' mental health Mm. and allow them to kind of push back against those expectations without the fear of losing their job, of being reprimanded. Yeah, I think it really comes down to if the organization actually does care about this stuff. Like if an organization is inherently toxic, no amount of fruit and Pilates is going to make up for that. If the organization genuinely believes that their employees should be working 24 hours and serving global markets, you know, at whatever time the other global market needs them, then there's not a lot I can do to help them. And if you are in that environment, then, you know, you have two choices. You either stay there and try and manage things as best you can, or you vote with your feet and try something else. So I'm really cautious about what corporates I work with, because I don't want to just go into an organization, do like a one-off talk or workshop, and it not make any difference. So first of all, it's about the organization recognizing that they employ people and that people have needs and that people can get ill, whether that is they've broken their arm or that they've developed anxiety or any other kind of mental health condition. And also remembering that if someone does have a mental health condition that lasts for more than a year or could last for more than a year, then actually they're considered as having a disability under the Equality Act in the UK and cannot be discriminated against for that reason for that protected characteristic as it's known and they are also required to make reasonable adjustments to that person's work to allow them to work at their best and manage help them to do what they need to do to manage their mental health condition so with organizations i help them kind of understand their legal and moral obligations um, and then help them to to figure out what that means for them in their organization and we go into like real detail so if it were a kind of, you know, an organization that served different global markets. Okay, so what does that mean for someone who works in a global role? If they develop a mental health issue and they're really struggling to fulfill it, what does that mean for their role? Would you put them into a different role and backfill that role? Would you split their responsibilities? Would you allow them to take discretionary leave? Would you allow them to flex the time that they work? So I think my whole, like, aim with doing what I do was to show organizations what it's really like to work in any role and to struggle with your mental health and want to do a good job, but struggle to be able to do that under the environment and the conditions that are currently set in place. So yeah, I think organizations need to actually really want to do this right and then consider what their people need and actually give it to them. I think if you're in that position where someone's putting unreasonable kind of demands on you, I totally get it. This year, 2020, people are more fearful for for their jobs than I think ever before. Um, And I personally feel like I am more secure working for myself than I would be working for a corporate, which I never thought I would think. But equally, if you get ill, then that's no good for you or the people around you or the organization that you work for. So if you do have a mental health condition or you feel that you are struggling with your mental health, 
go and speak to a GP in the first instance to get a diagnosis and then tell your organisation that because you do have rights. Under the Equality Act, you do have rights. And there are organisations like Rethink Mental Illness in the UK that will help you to articulate those rights to your employer. Yeah, just kind of knowing knowing the rights, communicating, getting the resources available. And as you mentioned, 2020 has been... I, I don't really have an adjective to describe it besides 2020, I think... <laughs> just gonna go down there are words no I don't (laughs) think there are but with 2020 and it's something that actually you mentioned in your journey I believe on your blog right when you're in the office and you can kind of see if someone's not doing too well or or is struggling and this year has been challenging I would say for everyone in, in various degrees but especially when you're working remote and you genuinely want to support your team members you want to support your colleagues you you want to support your freelance network whatever it is whoever it is that you're working with, what are some of the ways in which you can bring that conversation up and you can have that conversation? Yeah. So first I would say there are kind of three buckets of signs or symptoms of deteriorating mental health to look out for. So there are emotional signs and symptoms um, and how those might manifest are kind of increased irritability, increased lethargy, someone isolating themselves because they might feel that things are too overwhelming. So what that might look like in a remote employee is someone taking much longer than usual to respond to communication, someone ducking out of phone calls or video calls, someone kind of snapping at a team member. And then there are behavioural signs and symptoms. So Again, things like irritability as well as tiredness and interrupted sleep and all sorts of kind of changes in behaviour from that person. And again, the third thing is physical signs and symptoms. So very common physical symptoms are problems with digestion, headaches, random aches and pains, kind of irregular heartbeat, clammy feeling in the hands, shortness of breath, etc. So... What I would say is that a lot of those signs and symptoms are still noticeable when you don't sit next to someone or work in the same office as someone. If you notice some kind of changes in someone's usual behavior, then that to me would be a sign to like have a chat with them. And a good way to start could be like, I've noticed X, Y, Z, you know, I've noticed you've been like much more quiet than you normally are. Is everything okay? Do you want to have a chat about what's going on or how you're feeling and have a kind of open conversation with someone i.e ask them open questions and leave it for them to speak to you and also remembering that lots and lots and lots of people are feeling a lot of those symptoms at the moment and so in the last three to four months I've done lots of workshops with corporate organizations and the experience has been very similar everywhere in that once I kind of gave people those examples of what signs and symptoms could be, everyone, like the majority of people were like, yes, 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 I recognize this. So I think more now than ever, people will be more receptive to those conversations. So don't be afraid, I think, to ask someone how they're doing, because none of us are doing great this year. And I think it it also brings up an interesting point about kind of, you know, things, at least in the UK, I would say the uncertainty really started in March, kind of end of March, and it just feels like our immune systems have just been running high. You know, we're kind of getting to this pent up level. And I'm, I'm seeing this a lot in almost like people are, are reaching their breaking point. People are reaching mm. that point of, of burnout. And with no end in sight, really, let's call it what it is. What are some of the ways that we can 
really nurture ourselves, even though the environment hasn't really changed, even though the inf- information and the the certainty or level of uncertainty hasn't changed, how can we keep nurturing ourselves? So I think you're right, you know, like this has been going on forever and it's going to go on for a long time and we don't know how long a time that might be. But I think actually when it comes to looking after your mind and looking after yourself, the environment that we're in doesn't really change what you what you can and what you need to do. Well, it changes what you can do because if you can't move like more than a mile from your front door, then clearly you can't go for a 10K run. But it doesn't kind of change the approach that you might want to take. So I think all of us inherently know what it is that calms us, what it is that soothes us and what it is that triggers us. And the first step is asking yourself those questions. So I use a really simple four question format called a mental health action plan when I'm working with people who work in corporates and it's it, you can use it for yourself as well if you work for yourself but the first question is what is it that triggers me so for me it's things like auditory stimulation so like noises and tv on in the background there are much deeper kind of emotional triggers that's why work is such a big trigger for me but it's thinking about what is it that triggers you from a kind of emotional behavioral and physical perspective the second question is how does that show up so what are my signs and symptoms so for me it's irritability it's kind of compulsion to kind of cleanse my environment so like I know that you know if there's like two cups on the side by the sink and I'm in a really anxious place then like that will make me blow up it's a compulsion to overwork it's multiple things again thinking about emotions behaviors and physicality Um, and then the third bit is what can the organization do to support you or what can your business do to support you what boundaries do you need to put in place in either of those things and the fourth question is what can you do to support yourself so I would actually recommend anyone use that four question format on themselves the most important bit is knowing your triggers knowing your signs and knowing what you can do to support yourself because those are the things that you can control at the moment so if your triggers at the moment are the daily news conferences don't watch them don't follow twitter change your password on twitter remove it as one of your apps take off the automatic suggestion that the, the iphone and the like the internet apps sound like someone's grandma the internet apps um internet apps. <laughs> the, the old the apps internet. <laughs> the interweb apps um, <laughs> but you know if you go on safari or chrome it will say recently or m- most frequently visited websites i don't know what it says because i've taken that off but interrupt both the muscle memory so move the app delete the app stop it from suggesting you visiting the app and interrupt the kind of the neural muscle memory the the muscle memory in your brain that goes to say to you oh the world's going to shit this is really stressful go and check the news and find out what's going on find another way to get that information so in the uk there's and again this sounds ridiculous but there is basically an online news source called simple politics and that's the one place that I consume any news anymore they put one tile after every press conference around coronavirus and it has like four bullet points of the main announcements no analysis no rhetoric no he said she said just plain facts so limit your exposure to those triggers for now in time you'll be able to work to increase your exposure to them and manage the effects of them but for now limit your exposure to those triggers know what your signs and symptoms are so that other people around you can spot them as well and know what it is that you can do to self-soothe I often ask people to think about their senses, so what they can touch, taste, see, smell and hear. Things that you, I can hear and things that I can smell are the most 
potent, the most powerful. They're like attached to your limbic system and it can, you know, really affect positively and negatively your your mood and your anxiety levels. But I think everyone knows intrinsically what it is that helps them. They just need to spend a bit of time thinking about it and remembering and then giving themselves permission to do those things when they need it. And when you're kind of in a place where I, I know that place very well and you might as well, where just everything is turning, everything is overwhelming. When I was younger, I used to have allergies in order to kind of figure out what, right? You go on an elimination diet, very boring, and you kind of start reintroducing things. Is that an approach you could also do with some of the things that you just mentioned of just, okay, let's just cut everything out, just go to square one and then introduce things and see how it goes? You know, I'm sure some psychologists would, would disagree with me in that, you know, the idea is that to maintain positive mental health in time, you want to be able to expose yourself to those triggers and know cognitively and in your own feelings and emotions how to manage your exposure to and the impact of those triggers. But basically, when you are in a high state of stress and anxiety, which we all are at the moment, we have been for a long time, and every trigger that we experience basically fires another shot of cortisol into our systems, which is the stress hormone. So our systems are totally flooded with cortisol at the moment. Every time you get a WhatsApp from your parents being like, oh, there were no toilet rolls on the shelf in Sainsbury's, or every time you see the little notification being like, Boris is going to make an announcement at 6pm this evening, or every time you see a news alert flash across your screen about the current case numbers, Every single one of those things is firing a shot of cortisol into your system. And so actually what's happening is our brain chemistry is being totally screwed with and we're in this incredibly high state of anxiety all the time. And that brings with it lethargy and physical symptoms because, you know, any change in brain chemistry does. But what we need to do is just let some of that cortisol drain away to get back to some sort of normal level of brain chemistry. And in my experience, both myself and others, the best thing to do to let that cortisol drain away is to limit for a short period your exposure to any sort of triggering thing. That's often why it takes, you know, it takes time. So for me, it took three months off work to to let some of that anxiety drain away for me to then think about, okay, how can I try and make this work for myself? How can I manage my mental health on a daily basis? So I do think short-term limiting your exposure to all those triggering things and yes, slowly reintroducing them, but reintroducing them and noticing how they affect you. And then also reintroducing some of those things that soothe you and calm those symptoms of anxiety or, or low mood so that you can balance them out. And in time, you know, OK, I want to watch this announcement, but I know it's going to freak me the bloody hell out. So afterwards, I'm going to put on Radio 3. I'm talking about myself here. I'm going to put on Radio 3. I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm going to have a nice shower and I'm going to read my book to take my mind off it. It often is very simple things, kind of lifestyle tweaks and changes that help to soothe our nervous system and our brain. But you kind of need to know what those are and play about with them to make sure they're effective. Yeah, I think that's something that's really important because adults, as adults, we kind of tend to forget that we have to soothe ourselves or that we really need to take care of ourselves and, and have that nourishment. And definitely something that I feel like always comes last which is something I want to get into before we wrap things up is all the shit that we essentially are told, all the shoulds, because this is something that you talk a, a lot about, right? This whole notion that work has to be hard to be worthwhile. We have to prove our worth. We have to sit there nine to five, which is no longer nine to five. And especially now, I would say in the digital age where we are constantly available, right? We've talked a little bit about boundaries. 
So what is it about the traditional work environment and the traditional kind of work mindset that you think we need to break through, right? Enough is enough. So I think underneath a lot of the many, many shoulds and shouldn'ts is the concept of value and that our value is determined by our time and our age or our gender. And I think that that notion doesn't make any sense. How can our value be in our time? You know, if I make candles, when I first make my candle, it's going to take me friggin' ages to make a sodding candle. It's going to take me hours, days. And what the the concept that our value is in our time says is that that first candle I make that takes me, say, two days to make, I could charge more for than the candle that I make now five years down the line, I'm really good at it, that takes me an hour to make. Why does that make any sense whatsoever? That as I get better at what I do, I'm worth less because it takes me less time to do it. It's absolutely nonsensical. And the concept that we have to prove our worth, that we have to be experts, I think unless you're performing brain surgery on me or unless you're a psychotherapist, I don't care that you're an expert. I care that you have similar values to me. I care that you care about what you do. I care that you work in a way that doesn't send you insane and doesn't send me insane. I care that you are invested in what I'm trying to do and the part that you can play in it. I care that you're proactive and that you're going to sort stuff out because that's what I need. Like, I don't care that you've done four masters in the thing that I'm you know, asking you to help me with. So I work with someone in my business, Ali, she's freaking amazing. And I don't need her to have gone to, you know, you need done a master's done a postgrad in like business management. I need her to be her to be great to be fun and proactive and positive and problem solving mindset. Like those are the things that actually matter. And even when you're hiring in corporate, I hired hundreds of people. I would never look at their degree. I would never look at their qualifications. I would look a little bit at where they have been employed. But the thing that I most cared about was their attitude and the way that they thought about work and the way that they approached work, because that's something that you can't teach. You can learn skills. You can't learn to be a proactive person. So, yeah, I mean, there are so many things that need to be burned. But, you know, let's start with our value is in our time and that we need to be experts to get anywhere. And I think it's interesting as well, because a while back, you actually had a job description with a value-based pricing. But like, what does that actually mean? And what does that look like? So I knew that I needed help in my business. I equally knew that I fundamentally disagree with the, I will pay for 10 hours of your time approach to working because A, for the person that I'm paying, that means that they're only earning money for the time that they are delivering work. And that is not how I want to run my business because otherwise I need to be working like a million hours a week to make any money to pay my bills. And I don't want to perpetuate that system in my business. So I knew what it is that I needed help with and I worked out kind of what value that had to my business. So I basically wrote like a blog post saying, I really need some help. These are the things that I need help with. These things I am crap at and or I hate doing and therefore don't do. And that holds me back from doing the things that I'm apparently good at. This is the value that those things being done for me would bring to my business. If you're interested, let me know. And like 40 people are interested. So I think it really shows, and not just that, but you know, it started like quite a big conversation in my 
circle online you know what i was essentially looking for might be classified as a va a virtual assistant i don't call it that i don't have a title i don't really care what anyone who works for me's title is unless it matters to them but it showed me that the va industry is continuing to perpetuate that hours for time for money thing that doesn't work for people and it also showed me that people don't want to work like that anymore either it felt like the right thing to do for for me and for my business and it was really really interesting to kind of hear the reaction from people and yeah now I've been working with Ali for I don't know like three months she's a dream love her and yeah like we I say to her like I literally do not care when you do this work. You do it whenever it suits you. And she's very clear with me, like what her boundaries are and how we work together and when she wants to work. And like, sometimes she'll send me a voice note on, we use Voxer because hashtag boundaries, it keeps it separate. And, you know, you can check in there when you want to. I don't have it on my phone, blah, blah, blah. She sometimes sends me a voice note on like a Saturday afternoon. She's like, by the way, I am working with my boundaries because blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it means that she can set when she works, how much she works and the way in which she works and to me it doesn't really matter when any of the stuff gets done as long as it does get done and I know it does because she's amazing. It's an interesting conversation that you've started around kind of value-based pricing because especially if you run your own business especially I feel like if you're service-based right there is this whole notion of like okay well I'm gonna it's what you get right It's, it's almost that communication of like okay well if you hire me you get x amount of hours of my time And it's something that I personally had never questioned before because that's kind of how it was done. And it does. It's where we're told our value is. And we're not even told. It's just like absorbed through God knows what shit. Shitty osmosis is what I call it. Yeah, it's just it's it's a ridiculous standard where it is. I I then feel guilty or used to feel guilty when, you know, you have lunch because it's like, well, Mm. I I can't bill for lunch. I can't bill for this. I can't bill for that. And so that shift in kind of pricing based off value. But with that, I do have a question because at the end of the day with, you know, as a service based, right, if you if you do coaching hours, you're still essentially, even though you might be pricing it off of value, you're still essentially saying, okay, this is how much time you get in exchange for money. So where does that value based pricing kind of come in in your business? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't personally see that what I'm doing is selling time for money. Yes, people have like a one hour call with me or like, so I have a one hour call, a set of three calls or a set of six calls. And I hope to the people that I work with, in fact, this is a very interesting question that I should like add to my feedback forms. The hour that we spend together isn't what is the most valuable. It's like the conversation that we have mainly it's just what comes out of their mouth I literally feel like I'm just there like asking some questions and all of this amazing stuff comes out and the thing that people say is really valuable is the conversation and being able to listen back to that and act on it and we also have like Voxer chats in between so of course you kind of have to say like we're gonna have you know three calls that are an hour long otherwise I I could be on the phone for hours and we would never get anything done Um, but we'd have a lot of great chat but yeah I just don't see that it's the time that is the value it's the realizations that they have when we're talking it's mainly just the gold that comes out of their mouth when we're talking and I'm just there for the ride do you think it's the transition of moving away from the language around my daily rate my hourly rate and my I don't know weekly rate versus at the end of the day, a coaching session is a product, even though it's a service, even though, you know, you're, you're there, but 
having these packages that are essentially products rather than here's my hourly, you know, I, I charge by six minute increments, that kind of, that kind of thing. Jesus. Apparently lawyers do that. <laughs> I know. I have heard that. A, f- a couple of friends are lawyers actually. And yeah, I mean, let's not even start on that. We could do a whole podcast series on that. I think it's starting with the thought pattern first. So acknowledging to yourself that your time is not the thing that makes you valuable. What it is that you, it's, it's so, it's so much more than that. It's kind of, I mean, again, I feel like I could waffle on for an hour about where your value is derived from, but your, your, your value is intrinsic. It's not in the time that you put into something. Candle example. So starting with the thought pattern and trying to alter that thought pattern, which will then alter your behavior and alter the way that you run your business. And I do think you're right, actually, that everything, everything is a thing, isn't it? If someone's buying a package of three coaching sessions, then that's a thing, a product that they're buying yes, I'm there with them, chatting with them, but they're not buying my time. They're buying what comes out of the time that we spend together. I think starting with the thought pattern and really trying to notice when you might be saying that your time is the thing that's most valuable about yourself and then interrupting the behavior that comes off the back of that. So treating things as products rather than an hourly rate or a daily rate, which If you're only charging for the hours that you work with a client, then your earning capacity is totally capped at the number of hours that you are willing to work with clients every week. And that isn't good for your mental health or your health or happiness or the sustainability of your business. And if you keel over with the mental health crisis and your business is no longer sustainable, then you can't continue to help any of the people that you're currently working with in your business. So your business has to work for you and it is not wrong or shameful to charge good money for what you do if you do a good thing and it's also not shameful and again I could ramble on for an hour but it's not shameful to do work that you find easy because work doesn't have to be hard and what comes easy to you might be hard to someone else and you doing that thing for them has much greater value to them than the time that you have to put into it. So yeah, I would always say like start with the shitty thought pattern first and then see what that changes. Another shitty thought pattern that you you talk about is kind of, and you see this all the time, right? Of like, you need to grind and hustle and the starving entrepreneur, the, you know, sleep deprived entrepreneur. <laughs> I can see you getting very, very <laughs> angry facial expression. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bullshit, right? But When someone's having to deal with that kind of shitty thought pattern, as you just mentioned, or breaking that, what are some of the questions that you would say are a good place to start of, okay, how can we get the shitty thought patterns to the surface and then even going about breaking them? My first question is always why? Like if you're working, you know, if you are getting up at five in the morning and working till 10 p.m. at night, why? Why are you doing that? Because I feel I need to. Why? Why do you feel you need to? because I need to work hard to get this business off the ground quickly. Why? Why do you need to get it off the ground quickly? If someone was working those hours, what that would say to me is that their pricing is too low. If you need to be working in your business for 12 hours a day, then you are not pricing yourself sustainably. And the reason you're probably not pricing yourself sustainably is because you're telling yourself you're just at the beginning. You're not an expert yet. You can only charge for the hours that you spend with a client. You need to work for free to prove your worth. Again, why? Why are we told that? And why do we believe that? 
So I think I would probably start by thinking about, okay, well, what is not working for you in your business at the moment? If it's the time that you're spending working in your business, why is that not working? Why are you having to spend that time in your business? If it comes down to your pricing or your capacity, why is that not working for you? And it's kind of like digging down to get to the root shitty belief. And the root shitty belief is generally things like, I have to work hard for it to be worthwhile. The early bird catches the worm, you know, like nothing that's easy is worth having. So that kind of hard work is noble, easy work is shameful thing is like a really deep rooted belief in lots of us and then colours and affects our behaviour in everything we do. And that can be really destructive and end up with a wildly unsustainable business and you being wildly unhappy. So you just got to pluck the weeds. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Anyone who works with me, I'm like, you know, I'm going to ask the horrible question now. (laughs) Like, you just got to pick away at it, like pick away the layers of crap to get to the like, yeah, weedy root. So to wrap things up, I always like to ask five questions. The first being what book changed your life and shifted your mindset? I read all the time. Like I said, reading is like a, it's like therapy for me. So, so many books have like a special place in my heart. The one that has changed my mindset and literally like blew the roof off my brain was Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh, <sighs> sheesh kebab. I want that woman to be my mother. That one really went to the core. <laughs> Seriously, like every word I was like, pow, pow, pow. I quote it at people all the time. I just kept underlining and I was like, this whole page is underlined now. Yeah, (laughs) I've got so many corners turned down. There's no like full page left. I've also now bought the audio book, which is read by her so I can have her in my ears all the time. (sighs) Yeah, that's a good walking soundtrack. But yeah, honest to Christ, like that book. I mean, I don't know where to start. When you try and describe 2020, that's how like brain melty I feel about Untamed. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal book. Following on from that, what are your sources of strength and inspiration? Oh, I find that really hard. I Books, the cat. Oh God, so much the cat. She's literally like a friggin' dreamboat. Talk about boundaries. Cats are the boundary setting queens. If she's done with you, she'll just bite you and be like, get off. Like move away. But res- <laughs> not respect your boundaries. Oh no. No, this no. Is, but, this uh, is your computer. <laughs> Excuse oh, me. Oh god, yeah. At the same time though, I'm like, I like a woman who knows her own mind. You carry on, trample across my computer. I'm surprised her little like bum hasn't made an appearance yet in this recording. She's normally like waving her tail in front of the camera. So I was talking to someone about this the other day. We talk about our why. And yes, my why is to, you know, I want to help people have a healthier relationship with work that supports their mental health but really my why underneath that why is because I want to have a healthier and happier life and I want to own my own home and I want to move out of London and I want to travel more and I want to drink really good wine and I want to have my nails done regularly and I want to go for massages so for me I kind of don't really have like you know that five-year vision that I'm going to have have like a million pound business I mean that sounds like a lot of hard work so it doesn't sound particularly enjoyable but I don't really have any grandiose plans for the business but what motivates me is the life that I want the business to facilitate for me and like so in terms of inspiration do you have vision boards and things like that see I I feel like I'm like sorry this is a really non non non-concise answer to your wrap-up question I feel like I have naturally 
started a process of reprogramming myself from like super linear thinker in corporate life to a much more free thinker. But I do find things like vision boarding and manifestation and stuff. I do find that really hard. I think anxiety brain doesn't help with that either. But I do have a vision board up in front of me about kind of how I wanted this year to be. And it was all about having more time off and being outside and <laughs> see what I mean? I want my business to facilitate my life. It's all about that. Um, wild swimming, things like that. I guess I have this picture in my mind of like, we're going to live in this lovely place in Edinburgh with floor to ceiling windows. Going to have like an open fire and a roll top bath in my bedroom. Like that's basically as far as my vision boarding goes, but like that's what I'm aiming that's for. The inspiration. That's what keeps me going. <laughs> keeps you going. So the third question is, what is your secret to success? Oh God, I've got no bloody idea. Um, <laughs> to know. No, I think I said it earlier, but like knowing yourself and knowing that you are not a perpetual motion machine. Life ebbs and flows, so does your energy, so does your interest. And that's fine. Like if you wake up on a Tuesday morning and you're like, no, today is not the day, then fine. Sit in your pants and read your book all day. If that's a thing that you can do if you work for yourself. And if that's a thing that you want to do regularly, build your business so that it allows you to do that. Build flexibility into your business. So yeah, just knowing yourself and giving yourself permission to do what you instinctively feel you need. And following on from that, what is your definition of success? Again, no bloody idea. Um, no, I think my definition of success is having the roll top bath. Like, you know, living the life that you want to live. And I know that kind of may sound like, you know, the grass is always greener mentality. And that's not what I'm getting at. I think just contentment and, you know, feeling like I'm loving the work that I'm doing, but also loving the life that I'm living and that I chose that life and I chose that work and I choose how I spend my time and energy and I like those choices that I make. And the last one is what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently or maybe even you know when you started your business or when you had to take a break from work? I think that it's all okay like you don't have to live that way and you don't have to accept that as you don't have to accept a job that makes you ill as the way that you have to live and work. That doesn't have to be the way that it is for you. And you can choose how you want your life to be. Yeah, it's not going to appear overnight and you have to constantly keep choosing it. And sometimes that means saying no to some things or saying yes to other things or making hard decisions, but that it doesn't have to be that way. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? The main place I hang out is Instagram, where I'm at Mad and Sad Club, or my website is madandsadclub.co.uk. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. Well, thank you so, so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Uh, Joe is just such an inspiration, and I just love how transparent and honest she is about her personal experience. The question as to where we derive self-worth from really hit home and the conversations around value really resonated with me. I will probably keep exploring both for weeks to come. If this is your first time listening to the Modern Day Rebels podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It's free and means you will receive new episodes right as they come out. 
please do share episodes you love and that inspire you with your friends, family, and colleagues because the only way to tackle taboos is to talk more about the things we're not supposed to talk about. If you want to take a deeper dive into the topics we explore and talk about in this podcast, you can subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter. The link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and spending time with me. I truly appreciate it. Hope you're staying safe and see you next time.